Welcome to our first Humanists at Work podcast. I am Kelly Brown, Assistant Director of the UC Humanities Research Institute. Before we begin, I'd like to tell you a bit about Humanists at Work. Humanists at Work is a UC-wide initiative to support humanities MAs and PhDs interested in careers outside and alongside the academy. This episode is our first attempt at podcasting, and we apologize for any inconsistencies in the quality of the audio. As we further develop our podcast, we will work to perfect our techniques and audio equipment. I now hand it over to Simon Abramovich, one of our Humwork Graduate Advisory Committee members, who will moderate our discussion. That's good. Welcome to <laughs> <laughs> welcome to um, the Humanists at Work first podcast. The Humanists at Work is an initiative of the UC Humanities Research Institute, and my name is Simon Abramovich. I'm a sixth-year PhD candidate in the English department at UC Davis. I am here at MLA in part to present a paper and then also to check out um, the various Alt-AC panels. Um, and so we have a panel of good people here who are going to provide some responses and reflections to some of the Alt-AC sessions, the Connected Academic sessions, and sort of just the vibe here at MLA in terms of thinking about uh, careers for PhDs beyond the academic track. So we'll go around and just introduce yourself. Okay, I'm Rebecca. I'm Rebecca Lippman. I'm a fifth year PhD candidate in the Department of Comparative Literature at UCLA. And this is my second time at MLA. Last year I was here with the Graduate Student Caucus and my entire panel was graduate students talking about being a graduate student and something else. And this year I was a graduate student talking about a graduate student, being a graduate student, and pursuing a career um, with, with non-graduate students. So that was really awesome. And I'm Dana Linda. I'm also a PhD candidate in the Department of Comparative Literature at UCLA. This is my first rodeo at MLA. And also to support humanist.work and the sessions. I'm Kelly Brown. I'm the Assistant Director at UCHRI, and I'm here in my role as one of the Connected Academic Partners. And this is my first rodeo as well, and I was really interested just to see what the culture of MLA is like compared to what I'd heard it was like, and I'm wondering, you know, if, if the culture has been changing because of the rise of these sessions that are exploring, you know, a variety of careers for humanists. So I'm curious. I was. I'm curious to hear what you guys think, and I'm curious to uh, to see where this goes. I'm Anna Finn. I'm a grad student in English at UC Irvine, and a grad student researcher at UCHRI. And I'm here to support our Humanists at Work panel, and also to uh, I took advantage of the chat with an editor mentorship session, which I have yet to go to. I'll go tomorrow morning. And by virtue of being around, I get to be on a panel because someone dropped off of a panel that I would be great for. Wow. So That's great. Uh, an exciting MLA for me. And it's been incredibly busy and exciting. And while we've been here, I have been working on stop on a grant mm -hmm. application. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it has been really interesting. What was the panel? Um, it's 1916 Reverberations for Irish Literature. So I have a paper about Easter 1916. The, and my advisor is the chair. Oh, perfect. That's great. So maybe we can start, um, Rebecca, I know you presented today. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your impressions of, or tell us about the panel and then your impressions of it. 
Sure. So I presented on a connected academics panel that was called Humanists at Work, and um, I was honored to be there as a representative of the graduate student voice that we've been able to collect at Humanists at Work events in the past. Um, and I do want to mention that last year I came in a really similar capacity to be on a graduate panel and to talk about being a graduate student who's also per pursuing other opportunities. And I was in a room with really interesting people. There was someone who was learning how to be a helicopter pilot. There was a weightlifter. There was a mom. Um, and the audience was all graduate students. I was at that panel. Were you there? Yes, I was at that panel. And um, <laughs> one thing that really stood out about that panel last year was that um, um, a retired faculty member stood up and said, well, you know, I'm an academic, and I've always also been a magician. <laughs> he goes, everyone has another side to them. And it really just was like, it stood out as like, academics have always had a lot of other things about them. And um, everyone in this room was wanting to be able to express those things at MLA. And the graduate students really enjoyed that. And this year, I, it really stood out. Um, I really enjoyed the humanists at work conversations with you guys. And to actually sit in a room that's supported by MLA and connected academics as a graduate student and talk about the contemporary graduate student experience and how we are trying to see our futures while sitting next to a tenure track professor with an audience of really variable people. Um, and over 40 people showed up for this yeah, workshop to contextualize it. That really stood out. and. Um, there was a question from one audience member who said, what, what do you think concretely graduate students need? And the answer came so easily of just having a space. And it was really exciting to be able to answer that question in an institu institutionally supported space. I think that was a really, really nice moment. And for me, just an exciting way to experience MLA. I mean, I'm curious to hear about the experience of the panel, but also for those of us who attended other sessions, like yeah. how it compared. I mean, so what other connected academic sessions did you all go to? What was your impression? How does it compare to what we saw at the Humanist at Work panel? Thoughts? Not a good question, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was a good question. I was just trying to think of the other panel, of like the names of the other panels. And I don't, I don't remember whether... I went to a panel last night that was called Humanities Beyond Humanities, which was a, gra a panel organized by one of the graduate student um, sort of committees for MLA. And that panel also, I don't think it was related to connected academics, but it sort of attacked a similar um, concern, which was how to do humanities work in sort of non-traditional uh, spaces. And so there was six panelists, which ended up being tough because there was a lot to get through in that time. And I think it actually could have been two different panels. There was three people who were um, instructors, teachers, and then three people who were outside of the academy. And the three people who were instructors, one was um, at a small school in Canada, another was at a military institution, and then the last one I think was at um, Oh, at a at a STEM a STEM only institution where their humanities was only part of the general ed. There was no humanities majors, and then the three other um, panelists 
One worked for cars.com as a user experience um, innovator. Another one worked um, in sort of on a, in, a, in a university's kind of like their global experience initiative. And that panel, it wasn't quite so fun as the grad panel from last year where there was this sort of uh, opening up about our li personal lives mm -hmm. and all the other things. But it was really interesting to hear sort of how people were figuring out what their individual um, concerns or interests, how that led them to careers that weren't the one that was that's idealized by MLA. Um, and so that was that was a really, I didn't attend the Humanist at, at Work um, conference, but that one I thought was a really good, and that was pretty well attended too last night. It was 7.15 to 8 o'clock, mm -hmm. and by 7.55 there were still two people that hadn't presented, and I'd say almost everybody stayed in the room through the end of it, which went about 10 minutes over. and. You know, there wasn't a lot of time for question and answer, but I think people are hungry to hear about those kinds of experiences and have that institutional space to talk about them. Well, there are two, two of the Connected Academics panels are poster sessions that um, supported and brought a variety of people who are out working with PhDs um, just to give workshops and talk individually with um, their audience about their work. So it seems like the graduate student interest in having access to those careers and networks is being reflected also by connected academics and supported. And that's something we've definitely talked about at Humanists at Work, about really just making those careers that have existed or have been those paths that have been created visible mm -hmm. and accessible. So that's happening in a really big way. I went to the first one this morning, the poster session, and they had set up the room really interestingly where they had computer stations set up along the walls, and mm -hmm. so people would come in and sit, and then Steve Olson, who's at the MLA, was like, don't get comfortable, you're going to have to get up. Each person had a 40-second introduction, so they got to explain who they were and where they worked, and then we all got up and went around the room to meet with people to hear about their jobs, yeah. to ask questions, to learn about it. I think it's a model that I actually want to play with for one of our upcoming um, Humanist at Work workshops. But what was striking, and as actually Steve who pointed this out, the majority of the people, I mean, they're really interesting people from the NEH, um, from the State Humanities Council, from like CUNY graduates, that are just all, you know, a diverse group of people. Most of the people got up and went to the French teacher who was teaching at a, like a day school, like a private school. It's fascinating. Wow. to see and like people weren't going to the person who's doing development at oh, UC wow. Berkeley or the person who's doing technology at MLA it was just it was really interesting to see the movement the, towards the, the funneling yeah I mean it was like you know it was striking two-thirds went to the French teacher who's at the private school and that's interesting because I feel like this year's humanist at work fall session was really about thinking more expansively right about what opportunities can look like outside alongside education, right? that that is not the only pathway to professionalization for the humanities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just want to, I also wanted to throw in, there was a, a blog post that was tweeted a couple of days, or retweeted a couple of days ago by the, one of you humanists at work people, um, <laughs> and by Tyrus, by Tyrus Miller um, at, the UC, at UC Santa Cruz. And one thing that he said that I think was... Um, was really interesting was that um, he says, quote, 
increasingly that the humanities doctorate will become quote increasingly reoriented and customized towards the user of the humanities doctoral degree which entails a weaker influence exercised by the norms of academic disciplines and a redefinition of the mentorship roles of research professors in the humanities and i think that idea of the degree and the kind of field being reoriented around the user and around graduate students as those as the users helping to determine what what we're doing with it you know and how we're supporting it i think that seems like something that is happening in part because of the demand by students um. yeah i think too and this came out in the humanist at work session that there is a real divide between what people need to do for themselves and what institutions should mm -hmm. do for them and what kind of responsibilities institutions have toward their graduate students and I think that we were experiencing that in a really interesting way because we had people asking this really heartbreaking question, which is, what do I do? And we also have this institutional perspective, which is we, we feel responsible to do things ourselves and have kind of different answers to those questions. So it was a, a tension that was coming out, too, is like that uh, institutions are going to change slowly, and, but we need answers now. We, have, we had to field that answer. That question today. Yeah, I really think there was a moment with Ian Boghost, who shared the panel with me today, where the two of us had, I mean, I agree with him on so much. Of we, we really have very similar visions of what, how to think about our futures as humanists, and he's so much farther along in his career than I am. But there was a moment where he just said, um, it's going to be really hard to ask the institution to give the graduate students or ask the graduate students for their input and graduate students are going to have to give their input and describe their situation themselves. And that's that was a moment where I was like, no, we need somebody to narrate our labor. That's not us. And, and that, I think that was like probably the only moment where that came up where that, that divide of the responsibility of the graduate student as an individual to advocate for themselves and how much the institution needs to participate in the narrative kind of like popped up. Who advocates though, right? Because we had these, we had a Connected Academics Partnership meeting yesterday. We have a, an institute happening in September and we're trying to figure out what do we want to do. And as an administrator, I'm always thinking about money. I'm thinking about yeah. resources and how do you spend these resources? We're applying for an NEH grant. What do we want this? What do we want to do with this money, right? And so, one of the things on the table is supporting faculty to support graduate students, mm -hmm. right? Are they the ones who are narrating this? Like, who? How do we? How do we spend our time and our money? Yeah. Which is like, how do we? What impact do we want to make? Can I just want to add to that by mentioning another panel that I went to, which was held by. Um, it was a, about using your language expert language skills and cultural expertise to secure a a foreign service or civil service job with the government and so yeah, this federal was government. federal government yeah. assistance so this was you know the FBI um, NSA. NSA a few other programs that were language oriented and then were expecting you to get a role in some with the federal government in some capacity and what's what you know, a lot the, the language programs that they were talking about there, they basically supported your study for about three years, um, and then after that expected you to get a job with, um, with the federal government in some capacity and put in your time there. 
And the contrast of that model, which is an apprenticeship model in which they support you, narrate for you kind of what your trajectory is going to be, and then after the fact, have sort of a range of positions that they are expecting you to serve in. Whereas in academia, we have that apprenticeship model, but after the apprenticeship model ends, there's just like desert, you know? And, and I think that's where narrating sort of our labor becomes very difficult because there's, it only goes until we leave the institution. Um, and and that, panel, that panel was interesting in that it provided this, in some ways, ideal situation of you do, you kind of put in your time and then you leave and you are able to secure a job. In another way, that panel just did not strike a chord with probably most humanists. Um, I know Kelly can probably speak a little bit more to that if you want. Um. Well, that panel was disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because on a couple of different levels, and Simon, you mentioned this yesterday, where that the disconnect, where they are looking for what they're looking for cars, Chinese, Arabic, Russian, and Spanish. Right. Spanish um, was the addi- recent addition. The recent too. addition, which I want to talk about just for yeah, a minute, yeah. um, because it get, it goes to this kind of the culture shock of leaving the academy and going into government. But 90% of the people in the room were romance languages, like linguists, right? And so there's already this disconnect in terms of whether your language aptitude would be could be utilized, whether you would even get a position. But then there was this really like a, a period of feeling really uncomfortable at the end where the woman from the FBI was talking about um, that they really need Spanish speakers because of the basically the kind of the criminalization of Spanish speakers and the ways in which they need people to help facilitate transcriptions for court cases, right? So, and I know some of you're interested yeah. in who we're using our knowledge to serve, like who yeah. we're serving with our knowledge. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you have this moment where you're like, I'm really glad I did my PhD so that I can, um, you know, usher these people into jail, you know? I mean, that wasn't stated, but that was, that's how I read it. That reminds me, I, that moment, I wasn't there, but it took me back to when I was an undergraduate at UC Santa Cruz in Jody Green's literary theory course. Someone from the FBI came in to talk to us about language. And I, I remember this being like a moment of, Maybe this wasn't the class it was in, but there was definitely, it's Santa Cruz. So we were all like, no. <laughs> um, but one of, the, one of the things that struck me about what you were just saying, about thinking about you know, our, our capacities as humanists, and Ian mentioned this too, was how can we think you know, not only critically about where we go to serve, but also like pushing us to think about what else we're doing besides our language skills our cultural literacy, right? Our critical thinking. We, we tend to recapitulate the same narrative over and over again. Uh, and then I, I think it almost makes us uncreative about how we think about our labor, that it can be more expansive. Yeah, and I mean, in that panel, they, you know, that the sort of implicit assumption is they wanted your language skills, your right. labor. And your ability, you know, they talked a little bit about your skills of analysis, but they don't want that to go too far. They want that to go, you know, only in service of their particular objectives. And, I mean, what start, to, to be fair, it started out on a, what I thought to be an interesting and positive note in that the first speaker, you know, was talking about the role of the State Department and sort of this, these versions of... Um, 
sort of foreign service and civil service where you're involved in you know the management of different programs or kind of di diplomacy and and there there's there is an opportunity for kind of cultural expertise and research she she started with a little quiz about uh, american history like who is the first ambassador who was uh, when was the state department founded by the end <laughs> the fbi guy he said, I'm going to take a page out of so-and-so's book and uh, I'll do my own quiz. And his quiz was, who is the longest serving director of the FBI? Answer, J. Edgar Hoover. And how long was he the director? 48 years. The fact that these became the quizzes at the end without any, without any you know, with a totally straight face. For, for myself as a humanist, um, as somebody interested in social movements, it, I mean, it, it tells me that this is not the place for me to go, you know. Not to mention there was no discussion about security clearance. At one point <laughs> they said, you'll need to get a top secret clearance. And I'm thinking about, I mean, think about your, think about time that you spent overseas, right? right. So, Rebecca, how long have you been interacting with people in a foreign land? That complicates your security clearance. Or me going to Cuba. You going to Cuba, I think about my husband and the various things he's been involved in, think about doing union work. I mean, there is just, there are clear barriers to moving into certain government agencies, but the State Department is one of the easiest to move into. I mean, yeah. and the culture, I think, is a bit more welcoming in terms of, for, for humanist PhDs. I think that's really interesting in two ways. I think what Dana was saying about language being sort of a good place to start on in terms of searching, but not really like a defining skill set where we become translators or like robots that really only use language in a certain way. Um, and then also the foreign service. So as someone who spent a lot of time in Brazil, um, I th and, and I think people who study languages that may be smaller cohorts, then the network from a language includes foreign service officers. I'm always meeting people from the consulate. Um, and then I'm also always seeing people go and use Portuguese in other ways. And that was one of the ways I first started looking for work was through just the word Portuguese. But what, ended up, what ends up happening really quickly is going down rabbit holes and learning entirely new roles and skill sets that really, where Portuguese is only the access point, right? So for me, like, I've been able to work as an archivist in a library purely because the object in question was written in Portuguese, but then I learned an entire skill set that involved working with a database, coding, and archiving and cataloging. And that can also be translated into a lot of different other ways. And so, I don't know, what you were saying about language is, if language and the use of language is this really narrow definition of something like the FBI or translation, we really don't get to see it expand out and do other things. And those things may be disturbing. They may require us to sell things. I think that's a huge area where we'd go work is really about selling content. But all of, I think the whole exploration through language that way becomes much more interesting. So that for us, we can be critical and say, I don't want to translate like that. I want to translate like that. Yeah. I went to a good session that wasn't explicitly about humanists at work, but it was about Derrida's writings about the university. And David Lloyd did a nice job of reminding us that the cosseted uh, humanist scholar that works in the university is still in the service of the monarch and still creating liberal subjects. 
Mm -hmm. and that it takes a kind of active engagement with your role. Like if you became that tenure track professor, you would still be doing some of the kind of work that we find so distasteful with the FBI. It is in similar service. And that's a bold thing to say, but it's also very much true. We have to, it has to be how we do the work too, that has become really important. Um, And why it's so important for people who are really engaged with the diversity of career options to still get tenure track jobs. That's why I'm so excited that Dana is like on the road. <laughs> yeah, can you talk a little bit more about your feelings here at MLA in, in sort of the traditional? Yeah, I mean, this is my first MLA, so uh, I've heard it being a terrifying landscape from other people, and I think that was part of my rational decision never to come until I had that moment. Um, so coming in to that being the reason why I'm here, uh, alongside Humanist at Work and supporting the sessions that, you know, not not are just our sessions, but that really jive with the work that we're doing. Um, Rebecca and I had uh, several moments today where it was interesting to see our academic work colliding with our our professionalization, you know, expanding out, thinking about it in different ways. So I had this moment today where I'd run into a couple colleagues from UCLA and we were all talking and the English department chair of UCLA, Ali Badad, was coming towards me. And um, I, he asked me how my interview went and you know, we talked about that for a little bit and it was a really positive experience for me um, being in a room with folks who care about teaching and being able to talk about my passion for teaching in a way that I don't always get to do at the research one level. So we were talking about that and in the same breath, we talked about humanist at work and looking at, you know, the possibility for the English department to support the work that UCHR is doing in LA this fall. And that felt very natural. It didn't feel forced. And he was very accepting and welcoming of it. And I just, I don't know if that moment, not necessarily with him, you know, but if that moment in general could have happened before this year. Um, I mean, I think that also speaks to the way, and kind of going back to Anna's point about, you know, what the university used to look like. The university is not some, it's not a stable thing. And I think what, what's exciting about, you know, the, the Alt-Ac, and we can take the term and use another term, but that whole idea of these variety of careers is that this is the, you know, a process of reshaping the university to do and this is our work to do the things that are important in society and that means not only in university but kind of out there in the world and it's you know to be talking about them in the same breath is exciting because you realize that it's not there's not this kind of separation but it's this process of using education to to reform and to sort of push us to a a future vision of the university which i think is exciting But I also have to say that, I mean, coming from the UC system, I'm impressed by what we are doing. I mean, certainly there's so much more that we need to do. And I'm not even talking about UCHRI. I'm thinking about humanity centers at Mm -hmm. Santa Cruz, at Davis, who are in Irvine, who are doing programming for their graduate students where the, what you might call all to act, right? Um, that, That kind of training is being provided alongside training for the tenure track and just the way that they're engaged the way that they've engaged graduate students doesn't 
differentiate between that so that these graduate students can go into these spaces and pursue both of them at the same time. I mean, in that way, they're safe spaces. So I don't know how much that's happening across the nation. Um, and so I was curious. So it was interesting to hear at the Humanist Network panel today and to hear from some graduate students. I, of course, I did some one-on-one um, counseling sessions with graduate students. So I saw a woman from Duke. I saw a woman from Trinity College, I saw, I forget where the other woman was from, you know, and, and they didn't have this kind of support, but I do think it's, there's something special at the UC um, that, I'm, that I'm proud to say I'm a part of. I would also say, um, I had completely forgot to say that yesterday I was on a panel about Brazilian literature, and what I would say about that experience is that Humanist at Work never was in the same breath as that experience, I sort of took on a different personality for that panel. And at the end of that panel, we all went to dinner and, and the things we talked about are not what we're sitting and talking about <laughs> right now as a reflection of humanists at work. And that to me was also um, me really being aware of the fact that I'm here in two capacities, depending on who, um, who I'm with. And that not, like the people that I was with were not UC people, so I didn't feel comfortable saying, um, I'm here also with humanists at work, you guys should come. It was more like, all right, I'm here with you guys as the Brazilianists. Okay. Tomorrow I've got another thing going, but I don't really need to mention it. So yeah, that divide is sort of, it's sometimes we're able to be in both places at once and other times there is like a conscious closing off of those two parts. I, I would say that I presented today on a panel called African American Literature and Pedagogy Matters. And I guess I had a similar sense in that what, you know, I was wearing a different hat, so mm -hmm. to speak, on that panel. On the other hand, that in that panel, I did have an opportunity to, to talk about institutional work. Um, and my, my talk was um, entitled "White Graduate Students: African American Literature," and it was, and I was really focused on the institutional work that white graduate students and white scholars of African American literature can do for the project of African American studies. And I think that you know, kind of, my both of those interests, um, in the humanists at work and in African American literary study, those have sort of fueled each other in terms of being a trying to think institutionally and about institutional change. And so in that way, I was kind of in two different places, but there was a sort of a common concern that, that overlapped that I think is, I think is worthwhile. And I, and I really hope that, you know, that, that those kinds of connections are some of the connections that looking forward that we can, especially the ALT-AC and the, and the humanists at work, that we can take up some of those other questions, you know, to, to consider sort of the connected academics of, or ALT-AC in terms of, um, you know, race, gender, sexuality, and how those shape what we do as humanists. So, yeah, I was thinking, I mean, we could think about, you know, based on what we saw, what are some things that we might like to see in the future, either from connected academics or its partners, or just from like the you know general discussion about careers and career preparation for graduate students in the humanities? Is that something we want to address? Well, it would be nice if a presidential address talked a little bit about these sessions. And admittedly, I did not go to the presidential address. 
Um, but I would have. Is it right now? <laughs> they are missing so out. It is thinking about publics, though, right. which seems a perfect opportunity yes. to think about who we serve yeah. as humanists. Um, so that was that would be something. I mean, you want to talk about an institutional support is making space for that in a presidential address. Um, that's I would love something like that. I really want to see everyone at MLA know how to leverage their resources. So many people do not know what Connected Academics is, what Humanist at Work is, or where to even point their graduate students. And so I really think that, you know, I was wearing my badge with my Connected Academics sticker on it all day, trying, you know, anytime someone asked me what I was doing here, that was the first thing I said, um, ask me about it. But we need more knowledge from faculty members about how to actually help their graduate students navigate the resources that do exist and the good work yes. that is going on. Because people don't have to be as alone as they are. Yeah, that's kind of the, you know, when politicians are always talking about like boots on the ground. And I saw a linguist or somebody analyze what that actually means. <laughs> but I think that's, that's part of some of the work is to, you know, we can we can tweet, we can blog, we can have this institutional presence that um, advertises itself, you know, in certain spaces. But to to get out, to go into those places where they're not seeking it out or they're not aware of, I think is really important. I I'd add on to add on to that too. Um, just the idea, you know, taking taking what we've already done so far and and just continuing to push that as humanists in terms of you know thinking about how how these how these processes of of professionalization work and what what inhibit them or what um what's the word support them um especially you know especially as like and I think I just mentioned this previously especially as we can as humanists we considered you know different forms of equality and different forms of cultural interaction and how those play out because those play out in academia certainly but also when we go outside of academia those continue to play a role and I think it would be really useful and interesting to address those um, for graduate students as well. I think one of the things and this has been mentioned at all of our humanists at work events is um, that the people that aren't listening aren't in the room, and they need to be. And I'm, I increasingly feel, and today at the Humanists at Work panel, the whole room was nodding. I mean, we were articulating things that people have thought about and are thinking about and are trying to come up with resolutions for, but the people that weren't in the room are the people who are currently authoring debates about labor in the humanities, um, authoring pieces about the role of graduate students or the non-role of graduate students in the development of, of professionalization programming. And if they don't come, they won't hear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I think I don't want to necessarily talk to a whole bunch of people who are nodding. I would like to have a much more aggressive conversation with people who are making decisions about funding at a much higher level. How can we do well, and also, yeah, well, I was thinking one thing that you could have tapped onto your list of is who are receiving the funding for professionalization, oh, yes. right? Like, where is that funding being channeled? Departments and, pro and 
and professors in departments who then make decisions about what to do with it. And aren't necessarily attending these kinds of sessions. Yeah. I think that's really important. I want you to provide your input, but before we go to you, can I mean, Simon, you have a good question, which yeah. is how do we do it? But another question that's come up through my conversations with people at Connected Academics is, should we do it? Right? Should mm -hmm. we put all this time into talking to people who don't want to hear about this? Do we, do we, I mean, I don't know, do we wait it out until they all die? But of course, it's not about just, you know, it's not just the generational gap, which like somebody said in our panel today, that there's a generational gap. I mean, you get a resistance from younger faculty as well, so this isn't just about waiting for dinosaurs to leave. And graduate students. And graduate students. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just, I, I agree. How, but you know, there is this question of should too, that, um, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by. Were you going to say something? Oh, well, just um, there are a couple things that when I say to certain audiences are really upsetting that are, um, yeah, I don't think all PhD students are going for a tenure track job. And, and there are grad students who can't, don't want to hear it. Yeah. And that is a culture. That's a culture that's very tunnel vision and they're not able to hear. And it's not true. It, it's like actually not a reality. So. I do think it's worth making making people hear or opening up doors that don't realize they're closed. Um, I don't know how to do that. Does it disturb them that other people don't want to go tenure track? I, I think, think they think, why would you why would yeah. you get a P? The question is, why would you get a PhD? Mm -hmm. What and are you doing here? That's a really in my mind after having gone through like what it means to go for tenure track, which I want to do. Um, I think there's a lot of other reasons to get a PhD. I think it trips some wires for them too. It makes them think that the, the academy isn't as valuable as they thought it was. Mm -hmm. And it also makes them think about the fact that they will have to reevaluate their choices. And they don't want to do that. And they don't want to do that. Because so it's a lot of labor. Dissent amongst people who are their peers is terrifying. Like the kind of your, your, the trash on your lawn is lowering my Property yeah. Value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, when you've uh, internalized this culture mm -hmm. where there's only one good outcome, and then people from your program are actively seeking other outcomes, it can feel very scary. And what happens to the adjunct later labor when it disappears? And what does that mean for you as a tenured faculty member? Right. Your life actually then will change. Yeah. It will rock your world. Oh. So I did like. I really yeah. love that. Yeah. Can we we need to reiterate? Yeah. Don't add jumps like that. I don't think has ever come up there in this be a kind whole of way before. Twitter campaign. Don't add jumps because that's something I thought about so much next year. Right. I, I will do anything. But, um, I will do anything. But, but that's also um, it gives the concept of saying, don't adjunct. It it also means that it is our choice yeah. mm -hmm. to choose the kind of labor we're willing to perform for the university. And that's also something I think graduate students haven't really articulated. You have a choice about what kind of labor you're going to do for the university. And if you don't get the labor you don't, that you want, you don't have to do the other kind of labor. And that's your choice. But if teaching is your absolute passion and that's what you can get, you can, I mean, if you can adjunct. Well, yeah. I guess that goes back to what I was thinking after hearing all you talk about what I would like to see. And for me, it's, and this dovetails very nicely that Anna's just saying, to get rid of this culture of desperation that comes with being an adjunct, right? That that's your only yeah. choice. And 
the fact that I can on the street have a conversation with a tenured prestigious faculty member who I admire, whose intellectual labor I admire, about you know a different kind of labor is very empowering, that I can go into an interview for a tenure track job and talk about the work I've been doing with Humanist at Work to a group of people who are training MAs, which looks very differently, maybe, right, than the PhD route. So I would think that, you know, my mission in the coming years is to get rid of that culture of desperation that you have to, you have to take this job in this place because it's your only option, and really thinking that it's our choice, that it's a lifestyle choice, that right? It's a professional choice, and it's, it's for sure a personal choice. But I also have to say that, that the institution needs to support people in making the transition, yeah. Yeah. Um, because it is very scary to think about being a graduate student who hasn't had the, the um, training to think about how the work as a graduate student relates to other kinds of work, to then say, don't adjunct and go find something else. Mm-hmm. So I think it's still, mm-hmm. we need to take res- some responsibility for that as institutions. Yeah, we have to create the conditions that allow don't adjunct to be something we can say. Right, right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Rebecca, Dana, Kelly, and Anna for joining us on our first Humanists at Work podcast. Humanists at Work is an initiative of the UC Humanities Research Institute. Today is Friday, January 8th. 8th? Yeah. 20, <laughs> 2016 in sort of hazy, foggy Austin. Thank you much. Peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Humanists at Work is made possible with the support of the Modern Language Association's Connected Academics, preparing doctoral students of language and literature for a variety of careers initiative. For more information, please visit our website, humwork.uchri.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Humanists at Work. Links can be found in the description of this episode.